0: Thank uh-huh. you. Thank you for joining us on the Complete Center's Guide. My name is Tyler Fowler. With me is Noah, and he's actually um, running everything behind the scenes today. So Noah's actually with clients, and so he unfortunately won't be joining us today. But, however, I have a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Michael. How are you doing, brother? And just tell people about yourself, man.
1: I'm doing well, Tyler, and uh, I thank you much for the opportunity to come here and discuss these things today. Uh, It's important, uh, and I enjoy discussing them. Uh, Yeah, I am uh, just a regular guy uh, with a deep love for theology uh, and the study of the things of God. Uh, I have uh, associates uh, of arts and sociology from a a community college here called Motlow State, uh, an associate in uh, foreign language, Spanish, and uh, a bachelor of sciences in... uh, history, formerly world history and culture. They changed it before I was done at Cumberland University here. Uh, I'm a former regional representative of C.S. Lewis Foundation. And as a representative, I participated uh, over a decade ago. I, I did a few debates uh, with atheists uh, against Muslims, I actually one in a mosque, a couple in churches, and one in a university. Uh, and then uh, close to 10 years ago, uh, I realized that uh, I had been a false convert. Uh, and uh, went through a few rough years before about six years ago I I had a sincere conversion and uh, have really uh, at that time uh, recognized the truth of Reformed theology and uh, become a Calvinist as it were and uh, basically here we are now I would like to say that I did grow up even as an unbeliever uh, with a couple of mentors my father and uncle who were super educated guys so I was hearing theological discussions uh, from an early age and it always interested me Uh, Even as an unbeliever, I I just had a a real interest in uh, Christian theology. Uh, But today I'm a believer. uh, Glory to God. And uh, I think that uh, these issues, like what we'll be discussing today, are are really important for the body. And hopefully uh, we can have an edifying discussion.
0: Absolutely. So basically what Michael just said summed up, he's got more knowledge than me and Noah combined um, whenever it comes to theology. I think you're the first one that we've actually had, because I don't have any kind of formal training um, in theology, uh, really. I mean, I, I study my Bible. I listen to what I can um, from different preachers, different sermons. I love Charles Spurgeon, um, but I've never been to Bible college. I've never been to you know seminary or anything like that. So it, it, it's really nice to have the, uh, the uh, and I I don't say this with disrespect, but but what I mean is you know the brainy side to it because it it, it, it brings it from a different you know perspective. Um, me, I'm just the layman. You know, I, I I do what I can, and I'm not perfect by any means and I try to just do what what, what is the will of God. Um, but we are going to discuss some things today um, that, that that has to do a lot with theology, and it has to do with what we um, just discussed last week. If you guys haven't seen it yet, um, make sure you all check out the free will debate that Joshua Davidson and I and Dr. Chalaya and know all participated in. It was it a was very interesting conversation. You can find that at the complete centers, uh, www.completecenters.com. And real quick, before we get into this, I honestly, I I, want to, I I just want to thank God for, for really just for a second Um, because thanks to him and, and this providence that we experience in this day and age with technology, check this out. I was just doing some research the other night and the complete centers guide is in nine, nine different countries. Um, and I just never envisioned that. Like we're this is eight episodes in, and we're already in nine different countries. And I think God has blessed that. And I just wanted to start off the show by by saying thank you. You know, to everybody listening, keep sharing, keep liking, and a big thank you to Michael for joining us here today. We're going to be going over the debate. And uh, just a big thank you to God. I mean, I never envisioned this starting out. And I, n- I think Noah would say the same if he could talk right now. He's listening. But but anyway, so let's get into this um, discussion. Again, Michael, thank you for coming on. And Noah, if you're ready with clip one, let's go ahead and fire that. Um, I know. Do
2: you see anything biblically that stands out to you that you'd like to bring? Yeah, I'd like to point out a couple of texts the most popular text everybody knows about john 3:16 what does it say can somebody uh, recite that for me
0: okay so basically this is michael could you hear that okay just just a heads up i don't know if we need to replay that or did you hear that fine
1: yes i heard it just fine
0: okay okay so this is michael's first time listening to the debate he is so do you want to can we can we kind of get into this you just had a baby last week right so congratulations on that Um, Do you want to say something about that before we get into this, or do you just want to dive in?
1: Well, uh, I would just quickly like to say that uh, I I hate to seem irresponsible by not having listened to it. It was my intention, but yeah, my wife had a little difficulty with the pregnancy. The baby actually uh, required a surgery, which was a little scary for us, but it was pretty routine in the end, and everything's okay now. But it has been a hectic week, and uh, other than that, though, I believe that we'll be able to uh, to sort of get through uh, as we go hearing these things.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So basically, where we were, Noah, if you want to replay the clip for everybody listening,
2: if you can do that. Do you see anything biblically that stands out to you that you'd like to bring? Yeah, I'd like to point out a couple of texts. The most popular text everybody knows about, John 3.16. What does it say? Can somebody uh, recite that for me?
0: Okay, so I wanted to address this part, um, John 3.16. And I wanted to literally say word for word uh, what it says in the Greek. And then, Michael, you can comment on it here in just a second. Um, But basically what Dr. Chalai is asking in in, in this part of the debate, um, we we all agree, and, and Michael, I know you would agree, that the Bible is your ultimate authority. Like, there is nothing higher that we can address, I mean, God himself, but this is God's word. Is there anything that's above the Bible in the sense of ultimate authority for you?
1: No, absolutely not.
0: Okay, so we all agree that the Bible is the ultimate authority for us to live by and, and to understand who God is and, and what his will is for our lives. But um, Dr. Chalai brings up John three sixteen, and I want to read this for... Uh, in, in the original Greek, it says, "Thus, for God loved the world that the Son, the only begotten, He gave, so that pos everyone pos means everyone in Greek. Hapistuon believing it's an active present participle in Him should not perish but have life eternal. So, for God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that everyone believing in Him should not perish but have Life eternal. I think the assumption the the assumption was made, and, and everybody can go back and listen to the debate at this point. But the assumption was made that because the King James and other translations translates um, everyone believing into whosoever, a, a, as in, a, and the assumption was made that 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 implies that everyone, every single person, has a choice in the matter of responding to the crucifixion of Christ, responding to salvation, uh, that was the context. Um, So I would say, and just to elaborate on what I did say, because I kind of, I did address the issue in the debate, but to elaborate on that, I would want to say that, first of all, like I said in the debate, I don't think that it implies that every single person in the world has an opportunity to respond to the gospel in a, in an acceptance of it or rejection because first of all let's be honest there are people in the world that have never heard the gospel so i would ask what about them is that fair to them and second to actually go to the text and look at it it would it it, it seems to say that this the reason i bring up that it's an active present participle is because there's an aspect of that in a continuous way, a, a way that is continuing. So it's not like that we're looking back in a point of time and say, oh yeah, I believed in Jesus then. No, what we're saying is that it's a belief that happens in a point in time and we continue that throughout the rest of our lives. We continue to believe in Jesus for salvation. We continue to, to trust him daily and walk with him daily. That's what I think the text is implying, is not the fact that it's, well, just anybody can respond. I I really see exegeting from the text, instead of eisegetically reading into it, I see that it seems that it's a promise, that everyone that continues to believe will have eternal life, and that it's simply a a well i mean what what better is there than promise of god for everyone who believes michael do you have any input on on the text or uh, do you want to take a different route with that or how how, how would you address someone who would come up to you, you being a reformed theologian and say well see john 316 says whosoever shall believe and that implies that anyone has the opportunity how would you respond to that
1: Right. Uh, well, I I would actually do pretty much, uh, I think, what you've done, and, and and I'm going to say this, and I don't think it applies to either one of us, because we're actually having a theological discussion here, uh, but nonetheless, if we're actually discussing this with someone in the real world, uh, I would always remind people that there is a gentleness to it, because I, I've felt guilty in the past having this same conversation. Uh, I don't want to appear as if I'm shooting someone down or, or something like that, but uh, going to the Greek, uh, I applaud that. I think it is important. I've always been one of those people, I feel like we can, I believe like John MacArthur in the perspicuity of Scripture, I believe that we can understand any, even in our own language what it says, but there is times when it's really valuable and it really benefits us to go to the Greek. The whosoever there, uh, I'm, I'm 99% sure that it was uh, first translated this way by Tyndale. Uh, and generally the process between Tyndale's Bible, Matthew's Bible, uh, the Bishop's Bible, all the way to King James, they pretty much... of Geneva as well. But if a person reads those Bibles, they will notice that there's so much similarity. I mean, a lot of verses are just word for word the same. I would say probably roughly 70%, uh, just an educated guess, is is virtually identical. And so in their day and the way they spoke what's what's called uh, early middle, uh, I think it's early modern English. Some people call it old English. I think it's actually technically classified as uh, early modern English. I don't think whosoever uh, would have been uh, as con- confusing, maybe, if that's the right word, as it is us today. But you rightly pointed out that that should be, Hope two in there should be translated as all the believing. I've heard heard it said all those believing, a uh, similar thing there. I have had people respond to me and say, well, that's the same thing. That's the same thing as whosoever. But a key right. difference is whosoever is, is more of an of an, of an open-ended uh, phrasing, phrasing there because it's sort of, almost creates the uh, impression that the number is, is random or, or malleable, that it's apt to change. And while, while John 3.16 doesn't tell us uh, uh, in exact words that that's not the case, uh, the context of the book of John, I believe, does firmly. And when you translate that word, uh, uh, when you translate that phrase as it should be, uh, it doesn't give you the impression uh, that, it's, uh, that, that the number of those saved is this malleable thing that, that's apt to change. And so I would agree with you in what you said. Uh, Going to the Greek uh, clarifies a lot. We're talking about all the believing. That is true. Uh, All the believing will will not perish but have everlasting life. But uh, it's not the most egregious case of of eisegesis I've ever seen, but it it certainly is reading into it if we read whosoever to be uh, a number that is that is, uh, it's malleable but it's it's it's, apt to, it's possible to be changed it's not set uh and the text doesn't give it an give us an indication that that's the case so uh i would probably like i said do do what you've done and 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 approach it that way
0: right and and just to clarify also we you you're, you were absolutely right in what you first said is that we're not here to you know discourage anybody or we're not here to you know um offend anybody or make anybody you know we're, we're, that's not what we're here there is a gentle aspect to it, De- definitely, I agree. Um, so, with that being said, um, you're you're right. I, I think that that promise is absolutely, I mean, it, first of all, impeccable, and and second of all, something that Christians can have their 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 confidence in. I, I tell people all the time, you know, that, that you know they're they're wrapped up in sin and they're having issues with uh, what whatever sin it is. I say you got to stop looking inside of yourself because you're just going to see failure after failure after failure. That's what I see. You know, In the aspect of trying to 100% please God, we fall short drastically. And I say stop looking inside of yourself. Start looking outside to the one who was perfect, to the one who did fulfill that law, to the one that your faith is in. Because with that comes God's promises, and one of them is life eternal and another one is that God causes all things and we're going to get into this later but God actually causes all things to work together for good not necessarily easy but Romans eight twenty eight says all things to work together for good to those who love God um so the I think you nailed it too so to go to the Greek to actually understand what um what john was writing we have to look at what john actually said instead of a translation of it i'm not you know i'm not saying that everybody needs to learn greek but what i am saying i think you would agree is that to understand greek is to understand it's to have a new tool or or a tool to use in your walk with christ and, and to understand him better would you agree with that
1: I would agree with that, and I think we're in a. I don't know that it. I don't know that I would say it's unique. I think there's been uh, conflict uh, uh, amongst Christians in the past, and not necessarily uh, uh, animus, but but there's been disagreements in the past, and so uh, there just happen to be, I think, certain verses where uh, um, there's enough uh, enough disagreement that uh, going to the Greek will will, will clarify the issue. There, there's a, there's a few verses where that that's necessary. Again, I'm, I'm like you. I believe that someone who never learns the Greek can learn the English and be uh, just fine, but there are times when there is a tension uh, in a text, and when we when we encounter that, uh, I think going to the Greek is is really the only option if uh, if we're going to settle the issue uh, uh, as best we can. I had a quick question for you, if I could make a request. Uh, sure. I, 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 don't, I don't recall how you read that first sentence. Could you read that first sentence again? Because I've heard that uh, I've heard it said that the first sentence could be, uh, could be stated, uh, in this way God loved the world, uh, as opposed to for God so loved the world. And while that doesn't appear to be a major difference, uh, it seems to be that in this way God loved the world. He's, uh, uh, scripture is stating for us something that he did in love, as opposed to, well, he loved everyone in the world. And And maybe the word the the word "world there if I'm not mistaken it's it's cosmos, I believe uh, in that particular verse, we maybe could right, even uh, expound on that a little if you if you wanted to
0: yeah, so I have the Nestle Allen pulled up in front of me, and uh, i I can't so l- l- let me let me give this disclaimer, I guess whenever I watch people like james white doc- dr James White, and he pulls up the Greek text and he says, okay, Hutos gar." he would pronounce it so much better i i'm not going to even pretend to do that you know what i mean i just I, i'm still learning greek as yourself and i'm i'm just i'm looking at the words i understand what they mean and the best way that i could translate um verse 16 the first sentence um hutos gar agapēsen tan kosmon right is that hutos uh-huh. is thus um and then gar for uh, so loved god the world right so for or let's see here the way that i put it in my notes is thus for god loved the world that the son the only begotten he gave uh so that everyone believing in him would have life eternal does that answer your question
1: <laughs> uh it does i you know i actually uh have my uh scrivener tr here uh I, I, but yeah that makes uh that makes sense though. Uh, the way you say it there, I just had wondered uh, exactly how that first sentence. Because I've heard uh, a couple of different ways of expressing that, uh, but that does seem pretty straightforward to the to the majority of English translations we have. Uh, that first sentence, right? Uh, it's
0: almost well, like you, it's a how
1: continuum. would you describe the cosmos? Uh, how would you describe the word there? Because uh, I have <sighs> <Okay. laughs> uh, the vines here give so many, and this is another thing. One of the one of the really big motivations I had for accepting reform theology because I think it's important that whatever we believe about Scripture uh, allows Scripture to maintain contextual consistency across the entire pan-canonical corpus of Scripture. So so Absolutely. everything should, should be in context, and I believe that nothing comes as close, uh, no systematic, and of course this is my opinion here, I don't want to offend anyone, but to me no systematic comes as close as Reformed theology to allowing Scripture uh, to maintain its contextual con- uh, integrity uh, across the board there. And so, uh, sure. so what, whatever uh we we when we have uh, so many options for a word, what could it mean? Uh, I think context must help be a deciding factor there. And so uh while I would definitely agree that the Lord has a, a general love for all creation, uh that word there I've heard people say it's the uh <clears throat> heard people say it's the order uh cosmos there can mean well in front of me I have primarily order, arrangement, ornament, uh adornment. Uh, well, just several different ways, but certainly context. If if we do come to a to a verse, because sometimes people will challenge uh, an individual Greek word uh, that it has this meaning or that, and I think uh, always uh, a contextual, contextually consistent uh, hermeneutic will will help us there as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and cosmos is actually a really interesting word. It can mean uh, such as the world, uh, as in the the earth. It can mean the universe, or it can mean uh, humankind. I, I I figured you would ask me that. I really did, um, because I've been asked that a lot. What does world mean there? Honestly, and, and you can... Uh, I, I'll tell you what it means, and I'll tell you this, Michael. You can correct me if I'm wrong, okay? Or, or, or if my... Because I agree. I think that we have to understand that we have to keep the Bible in its context, and that includes from Genesis to Revelation. I agree with that 100%. So, I'm willing to be corrected if I'm wrong. I'll put it like that. Is that fair?
1: That's fair, yeah,
0: definitely. Okay. I think it means humankind. I I, I think that God does love his creation. I think that Jesus' death impacts all of creation. Paul said in Romans 8, I think it's Romans 8, that the whole world groans, the entire creation groans, and waiting to be released from this bondage that it was subjected to. And it even says, not willingly, but to, but to demonstrate God in, in his power and glory. So I do think that there's an aspect in which God's love for humankind and, and all of creation, even at that point, would would be theologically contextual with the rest of John. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm humble enough to say, look, I, I could be wrong on that. But I think that's, I, I think the death of Christ impacts everything in, in a sense that I don't necessarily know how to clarify my position on any further than that. At this time, give me a few years and I might. But at, at this time, I think that's what that uh, that word means. That, But if I'm wrong, please correct me.
1: Well, uh, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't uh, uh, propose to, to to correct you completely on that. I, I would just say that in my reading of the context, well, first I would say you're absolutely correct in that the death of Christ uh, it was definitely a positive for the entire world because even those we can just look around uh, in the world of Christendom and see all the benefits of uh, that people have received, uh, even uh, even uh, unbelievers. Uh, you look at, uh, I mean, in human terms. Hospitals and universities, things like that, were started by Christians. Uh, most of the laws we have uh, that involve morals and all can be traced back to uh, Judeo-Christian values. So I think I would agree with you there that definitely much good has come to the entire world. Uh, my question would be to you, though, because I, I don't disagree. Uh, that I'm, I'm not certain that humankind is the word in view there, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, again, I just couldn't say for certain that it's not. Uh, because I also tend to believe that the Lord has a, a general love for all creation, and in that creation would be humankind. But I would ask you, uh, and, and because I firmly believe that, uh, uh, well, first of all, the Lord says for us to love our enemy. So that gives me uh, an indication that he does indeed have a general love for everyone. However, I would add the caveat that uh, he, he He he's not more limited than we are. I believe that he has as much freedom as we do, in fact, obviously he has uh, tons more freedom than we do. And I believe within that he has the freedom to have a special redemptive love uh for his people that he has called out of the world. And so that's what I would uh I would ask you back would be do you recognize that that in other words I can love my wife and my children in different ways than I love my neighbor. I have love for my neighbor, but I have a special and unique love for my wife and children and I, I firmly believe that the Lord has a, a special love for his uh his elect, uh his redeemed, uh, that is completely different than he has for everyone else. I'd be interested to hear uh, what's
0: your view on that is? I agree. I agree 100%, 110%, 120%. I agree. I think that God doesn't love the people in hell the same that he loves people in heaven. I really don't. I mean, people might think that's harsh, but at the same time, like you said, I think that there's a freedom. And I say this with gentleness and love and respect, but I cannot see whenever whenever Paul wrote the words, and even in quoting from the Old Testament, Jacob I loved, Esau hated, Romans 9. What hated means there is ultimately irrelevant to this conversation. There's a distinction being made between Jacob and Esau, and that distinction comes into the fact that God does not view Jacob the exact same as he views Esau, and vice versa. So I think there's a disconnection, or or, not not necessarily a disconnect, but a separation and a, a distinction between the two. Does that answer your question? I I, I really ag- I, I agree with you. Uh, uh, you are breaking up really bad. Uh oh, we got technical difficulties.
1: Yeah, I'm still here.
0: Okay, good. Right, we we can hear you now. Sorry, uh, okay.
1: Before uh, uh, we move on, if you don't mind, I would also like to address that hate thing yeah. really quickly because obviously yeah. we know that there's anthropomorphic language in Scripture. Uh, sure. Uh, the divine being that spoke the universe into existence does have to have to uh, condescend uh, to, to to revealing himself in a way in which we can understand. So I'm I'm hesitant to put too much weight into into certain emotions that he said to demonstrate. Uh, when it comes to a word like hate, because we see even in Psalm five, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, his, his hatred. I'm not sure that his hatred is, is what we would, uh, what we would, as humans would understand hatred to be, uh, as much as maybe a, a lack of preference. I'm not dogmatic on that, but I, I, I certainly don't register the Lord's hatred for individuals to be uh, what we would picture uh, in human terms.
0: Sure, I know that's I agree. Off
1: subject a little bit.
0: No, no, I, no, I agree um, I, I think whenever it says that God hated Esau I don't, uh, because I, I just, I don't think it means what Jesus meant whenever he said if you hate your enemy or, you know, if you hate somebody you basically want to murder them um, the, in his discourse on, on the Mount of Olives um, So I don't think that's what God had in mind I really don't, but at the same time, I think that God viewed Esau in his sin, and I think that God viewed, like, let me, I guess let me expound what I mean. Um, I For for believers in Christ, for sons and daughters of God whose faith is in Christ, I think God looks at them in a way in, in such as that he, when, when he looks at them, he sees his son. Um, he looks at people whose faith is in Christ the same as he looks at Jesus. And why do I say it like that? Because Jesus represents every single person who has faith in him. We we call that uh, federal headship in the theological world. And either people are represented by Adam and they're still in their sin, or they're represented by Christ by their faith in him. And so whenever God looks at in- individuals on a are you justified or not? Are you declared righteous by God or not? I think he looks at those people who are justified, who were predestined to be justified, and who were foreknown to be justified. I think he looks at those people in a way, in in, in such love and compassion as he would his son, that there has to be a distinction between those people and those who are in Adam, who God, and I know people don't like to hear this, but God is going to throw those people in hell. He's going to use angels to do it, I think, but God is ultimately in charge of where those people are going and why. Right? We we see that all in all over Scripture. Instead of saving people in Romans one, because that's what we're going to get into next. Um, instead of saving people in Romans one, He gives them over to their sin, and that's the point that we're trying to make: is that there's some in, in God's freedom He can allow to people to continue in their sin or he can choose to snatch them out of their sin give them a heart of flesh and 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 take that heart of stone out of them and give them a new nature a new creation the bible says that we're a new creation in christ so completely change the old man give him christ righteousness and yeah i believe he sees those people different than he does he chooses to let those people pass over into sin does that make sense
1: that doesn't make sense it does and I, I know we're getting ready to move on and we I, I hate to steer the conversation away from john 316 so just to get back to that real quick i'd like to sure. at least once mention that if we if we do take for granted that the verse as uh it means that uh anyone who believes and the number is not fixed uh, then i think we're forced into a hairy situation because i don't see how we can believe that without uh without admitting that in that sense uh, the, the atoning work of Christ was not a perfect work, not a complete work. And again, I know I risk uh, uh, being offensive or, or uh, to people who have that belief, but I think we have to admit to ourselves that, that, that the work of Christ on the cross in itself uh, didn't do uh, uh, the act that John had talked about, uh, taking away the sins of the world. But, uh, and further, that also we will be able to say that there will be people in hell whom, who Christ died for. It, it it raises some interesting questions that I feel like if someone believes that John 3.16 is saying that Christ, uh, he, he did his atoning at work on the cross, and it's up to individual people to take advantage of that, uh, and, and, and it's a random people, uh, a pliable number that could that's apt that to change, then we have to, we're really forced to confront uh, those questions as
0: well. Absolutely. And maybe we can get into that on it, you know, because there, there are things that, yeah, um, we're, we're going to discuss. And, Michael, if you would be interested in doing a part two, that would be great um, because we, I hate it, but time is fleeting from us quick. Um, so if you'd be interested in a part two, we can get to those subjects 100 um, percent. Absolutely. Um, because there are some very interesting questions that come up um, in that. But Noah, if you're ready to play um clip two, and I think this is what l- let's play this clip, and we're going to see that um, God so, yeah, go ahead Noah, God
2: it's not God's will that everybody be saved
0: depending on what you mean by will, there's different aspects of God's will that I personally believe in
2: so uh, you're saying there are some people who will n- never be saved regardless of what happened what uh, what the eventuality is.
0: Okay, Michael, how would you answer that question? I, I know what I would say, um, but I want to go ahead and let you answer, and then I'll say what I want to say.
1: All right. Well, ultimately, of course, I do have an answer that's probably just the standard Calvinist answer, but I would hate to dive right into answering that uh, without prefacing prefacing that with the fact that we have to understand our view of man in that case, because if we just throw out there and say, well, there's some people that God never intended to save. Uh, he, never did a, he never did a work with the intention that they would have salvation. Uh that can be a pretty pretty daunting thing to confront, and it can also seem uh, unfair, frankly, if we have the wrong view of man. We we can't picture men as, a, for instance, there's a lot of Armenians, they love to use uh, certain analogies, and a good one is uh, that uh, salvation is, is, is tantamount to a man drowning. I'm sure you've heard this, and, and is he doing right. the work to, to, to put his hand up and take the hand of the guy who's trying to rescue him? Or an uh, even better one in this scenario, probably, there's a, a burning house, I think you and I actually spoke about this one on the phone once. Uh, and so he decides to go in and save a few from the fire and the others. He just refuses to even give the opportunity to be saved. And what this does, it places man in the role of a victim who has a certain innocence about him and has never had a fair opportunity. Whereas if we were to, to run that analogy fairly as as Scripture uh, describes man, you would have a house full of people in a burning house who are, are taking the burning boards and throwing them at the guy who wants to rescue him and, and trying to run him off, and, and they don't want rescued so if we have that proper view of man as, as a creature that has been radically corrupted by sin, in other words, there's not one facet of his life that's not been corrupted, there's nothing left that's pure about his nature. Uh, and, and so if we see man in this light, then the question becomes, uh, does God have a responsibility? Does he owe man the, 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 the grace that's required for salvation, or does he not? And I would say that if we go back even to the Old Testament with Israel, that it's completely compatible with his nature, completely consistent with his nature to call a people out to himself and pass over. If you look at the Old Testament, for instance, uh, uh, he did not reveal his oracles to, uh, to the Amalekites, to the, to the Amorites, to the Egyptians, the Assyrians. Uh, it was to Israel. So it's, mm-hmm. it is consistent with his nature to, to claim a people for himself. We, we must never forget that there was a time when he offered, uh, a perfect world and man rejected that. And as you reminded us earlier, there is the the truth of federal headship in Scripture. Uh, there's countless examples of it. I don't want to chase chase that rabbit hole much because I feel like I've wasted enough of your time rambling on. And I apologize for that. But <laughs> fine, no, no, so I would fine. have to I would have to preface this because if, if if a man risks just answering and I've seen this before, I've seen it in interviews where Calvinists will, will will mention the decrees of God, and if it happens in a vacuum, and the audience doesn't have the opportunity to understand the fullness of what's meant there, then it can make God look like a like the kind of guy that uh, Richard Dawkins describes him as, this uh, pernicious or this uh, this evil being. And so we have to have a right view of man before we approach this question. And so I would answer that by saying, yes, it's consistent with his nature to call a people out to himself, and and the ones that are not called never desire to be called. They're 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 his enemies, and they hate him. Even if that hatred is not an act of hatred, where a person is saying to himself, I sure hate God. Uh, it's an inherent hatred where they love their sin so much, and they hate those things which he has. Uh, declared righteous, and and statutes that he has said that men should walk in. So I would answer that by saying, sure, it's perfectly consistent with his nature to call the people to himself. But that act is a, is not a, it's not a, a a morally wrong act. It's not an act where he's being unfair to anyone.
0: Right, and and the, it almost seemed, and I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but it almost seemed like it was implied that God owes us salvation. And I, I don't think, so at the risk of putting words in people's mouth, I don't think anybody that was on the show last week would agree with that. I, I really don't. But it's almost the implication that one is making if God saves one, he has to make the option available for all. And the And where I see that, really not happening in the Bible is the the example was actually brought up from Josh, the flood. And I asked them, my question to that would be, was God perfectly fair, and I think Josh would say yes, that was God perfectly fair to only give Noah and his family the opportunity while he knew in his heart and, and, and in his mind and in his foreknowledge that every, every every other person was going to drown on the face of the world is God fair at that point? And, and I think you and I would answer that question the same. Absolutely, he's fair. He wasn't fair to Noah, right? Because fairness would institute God's wrath and God's judgment. Absolutely. We, if God was fair, we have to keep in mind, yes, God is love, but God is also a God of wrath. He's also a God, a just God, and he's also a God of righteousness, and And this really becomes central to the Gospel issue because when we look at the cross, we see God's hatred for sin, and we also see his love of for for humanity at that point, you know, even if it is a remnant, right God has the free will to choose whom He will for his purposes and ultimately his glory everyone if God was fair every single person would be in hell. Why? Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have fallen short, for all have sinned, first and foremost, and then fallen short of the glory of God. So if God was fair, he would have to give us justice, which fairness demands justice, and sin demands punishment, so God would have to punish our sins. That's why in Jesus, it's so beautiful because God actually takes those sins and he does accomplish something, like you were saying, Michael, He does accomplish something by taking those sins of every single person who would believe in him, in God's foreknowledge, and place them upon the Son. This is a limited people... And this is getting to you know to the doctrine of definite atonement, but he takes a limited people's sins upon himself, pays for those sins by his death, the wages of sin is death, and in return grants them by faith his eternal righteousness. That's amazing. That that it's simply mind blowing whenever you break it down, that God in his mercy, because let's be honest, mercy transcends justice we have to see that god didn't have to but in his freedom he chose to save a people to conform them to their image and he and i don't think personally you can comment on this if you want to michael but i don't think he personally looked down throughout the corridors of history saw who would choose him and say okay i predestined these to be like my son no i don't i think it goes one step further and many steps even at that whenever God actually is in a relationship with those individuals whom he will conform to the image of Christ, not based on nothing that they've done, but based on his purposes and his glory. What, would you say anything to that, Michael? Or agree, or word it, tweak it different, or disagree even? Um, how, how would you say that God is preparing, or, or why, or ultimately for his glory? Or How would you comment on that?
1: Yeah, I would I would I would agree pretty much with everything I heard. I didn't hear anything that I would disagree with. I think that I would uh when you made the comment uh that you don't think God has looked down through the quarters of time to see who would uh see who would uh have faith in him. I think you hit the nail right on the head and I believe that it's so important to understand uh the word that we 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 often render foreknowledge in scripture. Uh and you can correct me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, but I believe it is prognosko uh, and I have looked this word up, and, and I've, I've even investigated other usages of it in history. And I'll, I'll I'll steal a little bit from James White here, and he mentions the fact that uh, this is an active verb. It's something that 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 God does. It's not something that He learns or knows, or or it's something that He does. It's an action that He does. Uh, in other words, He's not. It's not passive information that he's taken in when, 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 he foreknows. I've heard it compared to Adam knowing his wife. Obviously, it's a different situation, but that's an intimate knowledge. It's an act that he did, not, not merely passively taking in information. And I think a good example of that is Romans 8, uh, is it 2930 or 30? 30, uh, the golden chain of redemption, I believe Romans 8, 29 and 30, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yep. We see what God does there and everything that it says he does. Those whom he foreknows, he predestines. Those whom he predestines, he justifies, sanctifies, glorifies. All those are actions. And so if we look at the context clues there, we see that everything God is doing is an action. Everything that he does there is without doubt an action. Those are action verbs in the English language. And so, to, to say that whom he foreknows somehow is different than the rest of those actions that he's passively taking information in, I believe, is 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 really to cast dispersions on his character. This doesn't seem to be the God who's described himself in the Old Testament as controlling the weather, among other things, causing grass to grow causing the sun to rise, he brings sickness, and, and he brings health, brings war and death, he raises kings up, he brings them down, not even a sparrow falls from the sky without him. Uh, it just doesn't seem consistent with him that he would be... Re- and again, I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's almost... and you know, I'll borrow another phrase from James White. It's almost as if people have reduced him to the role of a, a cosmic news reporter who, who simply has to see what the creature will do, Uh uh before he before decreeing something, in other words, he he's reacting instead of acting. So I would agree with you there, and I would I would I'm especially pleased that you you did mention the, the foreknowledge. I, I think that is a real, a real hangup for people. People uh, people tend to to wonder uh, what what exactly foreknowledge indicates, and so many uh, uh, desire to assert that that means that he he sort of looked and seen uh, some worthwhile trade in us or, or some some moral action that we would do, and I don't think that's consistent with the nature that he's revealed about
0: uh, himself. Right, and I, I, I don't know, I, I don't think Josh would say that he looked down throughout the corridors of time. I don't know if Dr. Chalaya or Noah would say that themselves. I haven't asked, but I don't think uh, Josh would. And what he would say is something to the effect of that God already knew, right? God is omniscient. God knows all. And there wasn't a time to where he gained in knowledge, and that's what we're saying is that, no, there never was a time that God gained in knowledge or that God knew something else, Uh, or or, I'm sorry, not knew something else, but did not know, and then gained in knowledge, and then did what he would do from that point on. Uh, I know that's a view, but I'm not sure that that's a view that Josh holds. Pretty sure it's not. Um, But but that does seem to be, if God didn't choose a people, a specific people, not only to be in Christ— but to be also conformed to that image as everybody in Christ is. If it, I think it takes away from the personal aspect of the word foreknowledge because we also see the word know in the Bible be used in many ways. And like, for example, Adam knew Eve. It's not that Adam just simply knew about Eve, had knowledge. He knew her in a personal way. And I think there's a tendency of what that word um, describes is a, a sense of that personal... Um, efficacious calling, so to say, that God had before the foundation of the world. Was, the the argument would then come up. So did we exist beforehand? Uh, like like the Mormons, the spirit babies, they they would say that that we existed in that aspect. And no, I don't think it's that. But I I wouldn't know how God personally, um, since I only experience things in linear time, I wouldn't know God, how God does that, but I would say that I wouldn't limit to God to say that he can't do that. Um, so good stuff. Uh, let's. Let, I want to jump into one more clip before we have to, to go. Noah, whenever you're ready, uh, clip five, it's the one at 36 minutes, uh, starts there and it ends at 3635 okay
2: when he committed sin now we have a natural tendency for sin mm. that is not the same as being you know have no choice in the matter we are talking about what is a propensity now we have a propensity for sin but we can still choose to respond to the holy spirit when the holy spirit speaks to us we can respond and that is what I'm You're talking right. about. We, The Holy Spirit stick. Yeah. Otherwise, what we are saying is, if I'm lost, it is God's responsibility because he didn't, you know, allow me to accept Christ. I and think that is, a, that. that is a oh, blasphemy.
0: So we see in the clip at the end there, that is a blasphemy. And, and the part that is blasphemous is that God didn't allow me to accept Christ, to quote Dr. Chalaya um choosing was brought up that that we don't that God does all the heavy lifting he does all the repentance and the point the point that I was trying to make in the entire thing was that a change of mind that's repentance that choice that response it starts with repentance. And what repentance is is metanoia. It's a change of mind. And whenever you have that change of mind, you think differently about what you once thought about in a certain way before. You now think differently about oh Jesus isn't just a prophet. Oh Jesus, you know, he's the Son of God and He came and he to die for sins. And and that's that's the beginning. You have to go through that before you can choose to place your faith in Christ, and that's what that 's the point that was trying to be made and, and say he didn't allow me to accept Christ that's blasphemy no n- neither me or Michael are saying that God is holding people back from choosing him. no no, no, and I think I made it clear if someone is seeking the God of the Bible, if someone is seeking the Christian God, the true God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if someone is literally seeking that in faith, those that is a sign and I'm not going to say that you're saved or not but what I am going to say is that is a sign that the holy spirit is at work within you and you are probably elect and your faith ain't even in Christ yet but that that's the point that we're trying to make is that god knows how when why where someone is going to come to faith because he's the one that's making all those little things come to pass. That's what we mean by decree. That's what we mean by um, the, the different wills of God. There's a sense in which you know we sin and we break the will of God. That's not yes, but there. And we're going to have to wait to get into this in the next episode, which is fine. But what we're saying is is that if there's an inkling, even an inkling of I want to pursue the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, I, I, I need him, I want him, that's an inclination that the Holy Spirit's already at work within you. Michael, what, what would you say to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would I would totally agree with you. Uh, I think that it, it, it has to come back to, uh, and, I, and I don't want to take up time, because I feel guilty already that I've rambled on so long, but... Uh, I think it always must go back to, to two things, uh what you think of man and what you think of God. And and in the scenario of man, uh uh his his overall value, his nature of who he is, it's not simply that he has a tendency to sin. Sin is his nature. Uh scripture says we are uh children of wrath by nature. Uh we inherited from Adam that nature. Uh and so sin because and, and the other part of that is, is who is God? Yes, he speaks to us in anthropomorphic terms. He has to to condescend in a way that we can understand it, but we realize there's no pretty good with God. His standard is absolute ultimate perfection. So even one tiny little sin, that's worthy of death. So having this perfect standard, we, we can't imagine ourselves as we have a tendency to sin, but we can still respond to the gospel because a response to the gospel uh, requires something that we that that Christ had to die for, that we may be given that grace to have those sins forgiven, because they must be paid for every single one of them, and we're incapable of paying for them because of our very nature. So uh, a man could really go deeper into it, but I would agree with you uh, uh, on what you said, and I think a lot it goes back to to the nature of God and the nature of man, and and that's just I don't see that as being compatible at all with the idea that we're we're sinful, but not so sinful that we can't uh, uh, respond to the gospel and even with grace. Uh, if it's if, it, uh, if it's the type of grace that some can resist, and we're still having to add something to it, and I, I just don't see any indication in Scripture uh, that man has the ability to do that, uh, and certainly not the desire.
0: Right. It doesn't seem like man. It, it, you're absolutely right, man. It all goes back to your view of God and your view of man. Is man dead in sin? Or is man sick to the point of they can still even respond. They can still even choose. I would say no. No, man man does not want God. Man does not choose God. That's why whenever we receive Jesus, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we receive a new nature. Ezekiel 36 is clear. God has to take out the hardest stone. I think... Personal, we're going to rabbit trail here, but I think that God can either choose to take out the heart of stone or choose, like He did with Pharaoh, to harden that heart of stone. Now, someone would say, "Well, if it's already hard, how can it be harder?" Blah 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 blah. I I think those are splitting hairs at that point. Um, I mean, we could discuss that later on down the road, but I but I think that's that that's the key is that anyone, anyone whose law is inscribed on their heart, anyone who desires God, they have to have a circumcision, so to say. I think Paul describes it as a circumcision. That that heart of stone has to be removed and that heart of flesh has to be put in before any positive response can happen. It, it, so, so the question was posed to me, and forgive me, Josh, if I'm, I screw this up, but I'm going to ask you, Michael, the, a question was posed to me, and and I, here's the sense of it. Is man born with the capacity to respond to God in a positive way?
1: Yeah, I, I just don't think, and I don't want to, to minimize a question someone has posed with sincerity, uh, but I sure. truly and honestly believe with all respect to Josh and all respect uh for the show and, and everyone listening all viewpoints. I just don't think that scripture I, I just don't think that scripture's ambiguous here. If we if we will read Paul's words, when Paul talks of those in the flesh, the natural man, he's obviously referring there to the to the unregenerate. He makes that clear Throughout his letters, and, and there just seems to be absolutely no indication. If you go back even to Genesis, uh, I forget the exact verses here, but there's a, I think maybe, uh, in chapter five or six, he, we first talking we first hear God say that man, every imagination from his youth, every, every machination is only evil all the time. And some will say, oh, well, that was the generation of the flood, you know, but then he repeats those things again, uh, after Noah and his family leave the ark. He repeats, even I will never again destroy the earth by water, even though. Every imagination of a man's heart is only evil continually, so it right. it, it just seems inescapable, inescapable to me uh from a scriptural standpoint that that man is is inherently sinful, and again, if we go back to god's standard being absolute perfection, uh which was is why uh, a perfect sacrifice was required to enable uh salvation for us, then i just can't I would have to adamantly answer that question no man is is not able to do so. And I believe that Scripture is just uh, chock full of, uh, of of verses and passages that demonstrate
0: that. Let me interrupt And again, not to quick, minimize Michael.
1: anybody's uh, sincere questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, let me interrupt real quick. So you would say that whenever Paul's described in the last few minutes that we have, it, whenever Paul d- d- distinguishes between uh, people of the flesh, people of spirit, right? Mind of the flesh, mind of the spirit, right? You, because it was almost like implied to me that Christians can be the person whose mind is set on the flesh whenever they sin. I don't think so. I think Paul is making a distinction between people of the or, or the mind of the flesh is the unregenerated, and the mind of the spirit you know those after the spirit they are those who have been born from above as john or jesus says in john chapter 3 to nicodemus you must be born from above to even see the kingdom of god to even perceive it right so i think is there in the last 2 minutes that we have is there any way that you see michael that those who paul was talking about in romans 8 there those with the mind set on the flesh is there any possible way that that could be christians um, that's set on sinful tendencies, or is that the unregenerated?
1: Right. Uh, to me, I would have to answer that uh, without question. He's talking about the unregenerate there, and again, I will go back to contextual consistency. If we look at the the, the verses around and the passages around, there he's describing uh, he's describing man's natural condition. Now, Christians obviously can sin, but there's other verses. Nothing's coming to my mind right now, which irritates me. But we certainly know they're there, and we could find them if we look. Where he, uh, the the type of verses, uh, as such, were some of you. There's times when Paul lays out clearly what we were and what we are now, and so in this verse, he's not. Uh, he's clearly describing man's natural state. So there's a natural state of man there. And then he described, what he describes is the natural man being unable, that a man must become a different type of man in order to be able to, to do that, which is pleasing to God. And then he, he always is clear to point out to his audience uh, of, of, of redeemed people when they're uh, in sin, he tells them, before you were this, before you were that. So he looks at them differently, even though they can sin. I wish a verse would pop into my mind now or something, but I know they're there, and we'll try to get into them again if you want to come back. But he clearly distinguishes at times when he's talking about believers and how they were before and when they when they stumble and when they, when they, and when they sin you.
0: now. I got one for you. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. It's First John 2, one. But... Is that one that you're thinking of? Sorry.
1: Uh, I suppose that can be used. Uh, just anything that, I know that he, there's times when he describes who, the, the, the new nature that they put on, who they are now, and he will contrast that with, with what they did before. And I don't see any signs here uh, in the text that this is happening here. Uh, it just seems to be clear from, from the surrounding passages that he's talking about man's overall inability and, and, and unwillingness to, to conform to the things of God.
0: There's there's definitely a distinction being made between the two because if you read down a little bit further, actually, it's same chapter of Romans eight. Uh, Paul Paul makes it clear that the people whose mind is set on the spirit, he makes the. I mean, it's just it's not popping in my head like 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 Michael for example, but it, it it's there, and, and it says that we we were. The, the children whose mind was set on the flesh at one point, but it's not until that transformation, that regeneration that we keep talking about and basically what regeneration is is whenever somebody first places their faith in Christ, they are changed into a new creature, a new, a new person um, one whose mind is set on the spirit, and that 's the distinction that we 're making Michael, I want to thank you for coming on dude you 've been absolutely amazing we didn 't get as far as I wanted to um, but that 's okay we 've got time for another episode um, l- later on down the road if you 're game for it um, is there anything you want to tell people in the last five seconds go uh,
1: just that God is good uh, thanks for the opportunity for allowing me to come here i 'm sorry that I rambled sometimes it's
0: hard to get really hard to get. Check this out, guys. We've got an awesome show for you next week. Uh, We've got a first page on homosexuality, so check out that. www.completesentersguide.com. My name is Tyler.